Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Rich in Grace series, which walks through the book of Ephesians, discovering the incredible riches that we have in Christ. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, we, uh, we started a brand new series just a few weeks ago, studying out the book of Ephesians. Of course, Ephesus, this town that Paul would travel to in Acts chapter number 18, but then specifically Acts 19 is where the ministry of Paul in Ephesus would take place. If you were to go and discover a few things about Ephesus at this time, Ephesus was at this time, many believe, probably one of the largest cities in the region, if not the world, with about a population of 250,000 people that would live in or around the region of Ephesus. Of course, Ephesus was known for a number of things, but probably the biggest thing that Ephesus was known for was the Temple of Artemis or the goddess Diana. This would be at that time one of the seven wonders of the world, this temple and of course, (coughs) excuse me, and not much is left of it uh, to this day, but that temple that was there was really just a place, it was an edifice that people would come to just to see, not even if they were involved in any of the uh, uh, worship of the goddess Diana, they just wanted to go and see this place. Well, in Acts chapter number 18, Paul visits Ephesus for the very, uh, perhaps the first time, maybe he'd been there before, but now one of the first times with the gospel, Acts chapter 18, and he sees this great need. Well, during that time, Paul was traveling back to Jerusalem, so he would just stay in Ephesus for a couple of days. Acts 19, though, Paul would go with intent back to the city of Ephesus. What would he go to do? Well, he would go to teach Christ and to preach the gospel of Jesus. He would actually spend upwards of probably two to three years that Paul spent in Ephesus, and God would use him in an incredible way to impact the people and reach many people with Christ. And we've already seen it, but uh, in Acts chapter 19, it says that there were not a few that believed. That means that there were a lot of people that came to know Christ as their savior, as Paul would minister in Ephesus for two years in this prominent metropolitan area. Well, after being there for 10 years, or excuse me, after being away from Ephesus for 10 years, Paul, now sitting in a jail cell, the Mamertine prison in Rome, Paul now is sitting there with the believers in Ephesus on his mind. And he begins to be burdened about hearing that they're doing well, but just needing some encouragement. And so Paul would write to them this letter of Ephesians, and he would write to them about how rich a believer is with Christ. The whole theme of the book is the riches that you and I have in Christ. And one of those areas that we find richness in is the fact that God, this first section of our series, we're calling it to be rich in grace. Our theme for the year, by grace, we're saved by grace, God's unmerited favor, but then also we are strengthened by grace. I try not to have everybody raise their hands often, but I do it probably more than I think I do. 
But I want, I want everyone to participate in just this thought this morning. Just one question I want to ask you and that I want you to participate. The rest, you can just ignore me, okay? Don't, don't. but anyway. If you would be honest and say, there are times, there have been times, or I know there will be times that I need God to strengthen me in situations. Raise your hand. Okay, good. Just about everybody, except for a couple of you that are like, I'm not raising my hand, even if, even if I'm threatened. Man, every one of us need grace. Here's the cool thing that Paul is trying to get across in these first three chapters. God is rich in grace. His grace and his strength in your life is never going to run out. And so Paul, from this prison cell, writes this letter to the believers there in, in Ephesus. My slides are messing up up here, so give me just a second. And it's not working. There we go. We'll go there. All right. <clears throat> so Paul writes this letter. He writes it to encourage them. We've learned a number of things. We learned the first week, what does God think about you? And we learned that God says, hey, you're adopted, you're adored, you're adopted, you're adored, and you're accepted by me. Aren't you thankful to be accepted by God? Then last week, we looked and we discovered, what does God give to me? God gives me forgiveness. God gives me understanding. God gives me a rich inheritance. And God, he gives me the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to continue with our series, but before we kind of get into the message, I just want to ask you if you've ever not understood something. The answer is yes. Maybe you are the type of people, you like a board game. You ever sat down to play a board game and you just didn't understand it? I'm not going to make fun of my mom right now with a game that we play called The Settlers of Catan. We learned, I learned this game 16 years ago and sat down with my family. I thought it was the best board game ever, and I still think it. But anyway, we sat down, and we were trying to play Catan, and I taught my parents, my dad. He was pretty quick to catch on. It took him maybe one game, a game and a half, maybe to really get it. My dad got, got onto it quick. And my mom, that first year, we played the game, and... Uh, you know, I taught her a few times during Christmas break, and then we went back to California where we were living at the time, and I came back the next year. I'm like, Mom, we're going to play this game again. She's like, okay, I like board games. Now, what's the name of this one? Uh, Settlers of Catan, Mom. She said, okay. Now, what do you do? Well, Mom, it's the same game we played last year. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 I remember, I remember. But tell me one more time, what do you do? Well, Mom, and I explained it again. We finally hit the point, not exaggerating, where I said, Mom, I will never again ask you to play the Settlers of Catan. And she said, thank you. <laughs> we've all been there. We've had to have something explained to us multiple times. You just maybe don't, you're just not getting it, not understanding it. My sister and I were talking on Friday. And uh, Dina, she has seven kids. And she had a, they had a church potluck at their church last week. And her, my, my sister and her kids were all at this potluck, and uh, she was standing there with one of her daughters, whom I'm not going to name because I promised I wouldn't name her. Uh, she was standing there with one of her daughters, and she's, the pastor was speaking, and he said, hey, you know what kind of meat was in my stew today? And my sister and my niece were there, and she, my sister said, no, what kind of meat? And he said, it was, it was Himalayan rabbit. 
Have you ever had Himalayan rabbit? My sister said, no, I have never had Himalayan rabbit. And my niece said, no, I've never had Himalayan rabbit either. And the pastor said, yeah, I was driving down the road and saw Himalayan on the side and I grabbed him. <laughs> my sister, she laughed. My niece, she snickered. They got in the car, they're going home. And my sister says to her kids, all the other, uh, at that time, there's two at Bible college. So the other four were in the car with her and there's six total with the, the one that was already there. And Dina says, hey, you guys know what kind of meat that was today in, in the pastor's stew? I said, no, what kind of meat? It was Himalayan rabbit. You guys ever had Himalayan rabbit? No, mom, we've never had Himalayan rabbit. Yeah, pastor said he saw Himalayan on the ground and picked him up and cooked the rabbit. And the kids all laughed. And my one niece, she snickered again. And my sister's on the phone with the other, one of the other daughters at school and said, hey, guess what kind of meat we ate today? <laughs> what kind of meat did you eat, mom? We had Himalayan rabbit. Do you know what Himalayan rabbit is? No, mom, what's Himalayan rabbit? Well, the pastor said he was driving down the street and he saw Himalayan on the ground and we ate that Himalayan rabbit. And that other niece on the phone just began to die laughing. The first niece who was there the very first time died laughing like hysterically. And then she goes, I finally got it. Himalayan, the rabbit was laying on the ground. I, and began to confess, like, I finally understood this. And of course, you know, my sister, who's sarcastic all the time, just would not let her live that down. And so now that was the running joke all weekend was finally this one whom I'm not gonna name. Uh, she finally got Himalayan rabbit. You know what? We all have things in our lives, whether it's a joke or a game or a class or a work experience, we have some things that we just don't understand. As you and I come to this next part in our series in Ephesians chapter number one, I find Paul almost sitting down with the believers at Ephesus across the table from him. And he doesn't really know. I don't really know if you're getting this. I don't really know if you quite understand what I'm trying to say to you. And what I find Paul doing in this next portion of our passage is Paul saying to them, I just really want you to get this. As a matter of fact, I want you to get this so much that I'm praying that you'll get this. I'm praying that you will understand really what you have in Christ. I am praying that you will know some things about God. And I find Paul saying, I don't know if you're understanding this. I don't know if you're catching Himalayan rabbit. I don't know if you're getting it today, but I really want you to get it. As a matter of fact, I want it so badly that I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that you will catch everything, everything that I'm writing to you. I want you to notice the verses with us today. Ephesians chapter one, let's stand and let's read verse number 15 down through verse number 23. Ephesians chapter one, Verse 15 down through verse number 23, we read these words. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What is Paul saying there? Hey, I heard that you all as a church, you have great faith toward God and great love towards others. Hey, what's the Christian life boiled down to? Two things, loving God, loving people. The church at Ephesus, they got it. 
And Paul says, I'm hearing about it. And ever since then, I cease not to give thanks for you. And I'm also making some prayer requests for you. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I am praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I'm praying that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul comes to these believers and he says, man, I'm hearing about your faith for God. I'm hearing about your love for others. I praise God for it. I thank God for it. But I also want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. And this morning, we're going to see five things that Paul is praying for for these believers. But before I pray, I want to remind you of one thing. Paul is writing this from a jail cell. You say, Pastor, why remind us of this? We mentioned it a few weeks ago. If you were sitting in a jail cell, arrested for not breaking the law, arrested for simply believing in Jesus Christ, what would you ask people to pray for? What would you write to people? I don't know about you, but I probably would write like, hey, pray for me to get out of this. Hey, pray for the doors to pop open like they did for Peter. Hey, would you pray that my guard would fall asleep and accidentally throw the key to me while he's falling asleep? Pray some miracle to get me out of here. That's probably what I would be praying. That's not what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, hey, pray for me. Paul says, I'm praying for you. That tells me that this is important. It was important to Paul that they got what he was trying to give to them, and I think it's important for us. So let's pray. Let's ask God to help our time, and then we'll get into our message today. Dear Lord, we want to come before you, and we thank you for your love and your care for us. And God, I want to pray that you would help us in these next few moments to hear from you. I pray that you would help us to understand what you have for us. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to see this, uh, these prayer requests that Paul gives for these believers in Ephesus, that they would understand what they have in you, and that we would understand that. I love you, God. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> I find five things that Paul is praying for for these believers. The first, I believe Paul is praying that they would know God. He says, hey, I'm praying that you would really know God. Look at verse number 17. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What is he praying? I'm praying that you would know God. I'm just praying that you would really know and understand who God is. The word knowledge here, normally, normally the word knowledge is the word gnosis, to know. This word knowledge is epigenosis. It means to fully discern, to fully know, to fully acknowledge. You know what Paul is telling them? It's very simple this morning. He is just saying, I am praying that you will just continue to get to know God. When he says, I'm praying that you would know the spirit of wisdom, that spirit of wisdom simply means to have spiritual wisdom. 
I'm praying that you would be able to look at God spiritually and that you would be able to see past the physical and understand that there is a spiritual work at, play, at, 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 at work. There's different things going on. The thing revelation, the word revelation, it means to be opened or to be revealed. Here's what Paul is saying to them. I'm praying that God would give you spiritual wisdom. I'm praying that God would give you full understanding of him and who he is and what he's doing. I'm just praying that you would keep getting to know God. You know, every believer should grow in their knowledge of God. To know God personally is called salvation. To know God increasingly is called sanctification. And one day we will know God perfectly and that's called glorification. Right now we are in the sanctification process. If you know Christ as your savior, then you have a personal relationship with him that started at salvation. And then God brings us on a journey called the Christian life. It's a journey of growth and it should be a journey of growth. You see, it's not enough to just uh, know God as Savior. That, that, it's enough for you to go to heaven, to believe in him personally. But listen, God has more for you than that. God doesn't want you just to know him as Savior. He wants you to know him as friend and as guide. He wants you to know him as the one who can meet your needs. He wants you to know him as Father. The better we know him, the more satisfying our spiritual lives will be. Think about it this way. In any friendship, in any friendship or relationship, getting to know someone more and more and more is only going to make that relationship stronger if there is humility there. And with God, as you and I get to know him more and more, you know what happens? Our relationship becomes strengthened. Because there is, listen, there is no weakness in God. Now, I love my wife, and I'm not going to talk negatively about my wife. But my wife has learned over the last few years that Dennis Fountain is not perfect. I'm, I know it's hard to believe. I know some of you are like, oh. no, I'm teasing Listen, she, she has learned that Dennis Fountain, there are some weaknesses in Dennis Fountain. And there are some things, I, I hate to admit it, but I know it's true. There's some things about Dennis Fountain that Hannah Fountain, even though we've been married for almost 18 years, there are some things that Hannah Fountain doesn't like about Dennis Fountain. Can you believe that? We need marriage counseling. I'm about to sit down in my own office. Now, in every relationship, as you get to know somebody, you get to know their weaknesses and you get to know their strengths and you decide to look past their weaknesses to help them grow in their weaknesses and you decide to love them. And what does that do? It strengthens the relationship. Hey, with God, there is no weakness. With God, you're not gonna get to know him more and be like, oh, I, oh, I really don't like that about him. You're not gonna do that. And with God, and we're really with anybody, the more you know them, the more you trust them. I say it often, the more you know someone, the more you will trust that person. Hey, the same is true with God. Listen, the more you know God, the more you get to know him as friend and as father and as savior and as guide. And the more you get to know him and his peace and his joy and the long suffering that he has and his patience. And the more you get to know the desire and direction that he has in your life, the more likely you are to trust him. There are some Old Testament characters listed out in, Ephesians, or in Hebrews chapter number 11. 
Two of them is Abraham and Sarah. The hall of faith is Hebrews chapter 11. It's people who truly trusted God and believed in God in spite of all of their circumstances. The Bible tells us that God came to Abraham and Sarah and told them, you're going to have a child in your old age. Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was 100 years old. Don't know if you knew this, but that's kind of past the baby having years. Just going to say it. You know what God did? God promised them children in their old age. And you know what? After a couple of times of hearing it, you know what they did? They chose to trust God. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11, 11 says it this way about Sarah. It says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength because she judged him faithful who had promised. What caused Sarah and Abraham to believe God? I love the word judged there. The word judged in this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, it means she deemed or she considered or she took into account. Do you know what Sarah did? Sarah looked backward to find her trust for God. But what do you mean, pastor? She looked into the bank account of the history with God. And she said, you know, I've got to know some things about God. And here's what I've got to know about God. He hasn't failed me yet. And if he kept the promise to bring us out of the Ur of the Chaldees and keep us safe as we travel to the promised land, he can keep the promise to give me a child even though I'm old. And if he can keep the promise to protect us when we strayed from him, but he said he would, he would protect us, and he said that he would keep us safe. If he can do that, she judged, she deemed, she considered, she took into account, hey, God has not let me down. Do you know why she was able to say that? Because she got to know God. Do you know why some of us struggle? Listen, you know why some of us struggle at trusting God in sometimes the seemingly little things of life? It's because we don't stop and get to know him like we should. There are some people in here that you're almost in the same place you were when you first trusted Christ. And here's what God is calling us to. Hey, get to know me. Why? Because you'll trust who you know. Here's what Paul is saying to them. I'm praying that you will really get to know God. I'm praying that you would know God. Not only am I praying that you would know God, I'm praying that you would know his invitation. I'm praying that you would know the fullness of the invitation of God. Well, where do we see this? Verse number 18. I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The word hope in... The Bible, in most places, it does not mean, ooh, I hope so. I really hope that's going to happen. You know, like a little kid hoping for ice cream after church or hoping that dad will forget that, you know, he needs a discipline uh, thing or hoping that, you know, whatever the thing may be. They're hoping that will happen. That's not the word hope. The word hope in the Bible, it means a confident expectation. It's basically saying like a knowing You know it's going to happen. You're confidently expecting it because it's been promised. Here's what Paul says. I am praying that you would understand more clearly and know the confident expectation of his call. 
Paul wanted the believers to understand that the hope that belonged to them is a different type of hope. I want you to know, Paul's saying, that when you were called to salvation, when you were invited to trust God, you were given truly a confident expectation. Well, what could he be referring to? Well, one of the things he's referring to is the confident expectation of eternity. Hey, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, this is the worst it's ever going to get. You have heaven to look forward to. Hey, do you know why Miss Glenda can sit and, and we can talk this morning about her brother Vernon and she can say to me what she said this morning, Pastor, I'm sad, but he's in a better place. Praise God. Do you know why somebody can say that? Because of the hope of his calling. Because of the hope, the earnest expectation that, hey, I have a confident expectation that I know where I'm going to spend eternity. Man, this is what Paul is saying. I am praying that you will go through life and that you will remember every day that you are saved and that you have eternity waiting for you. I'm trying to call into your remembrance the earnest expectation of all that is included in the inheritance or in the invitation that you have been given from God. Hey, heaven is right around the corner for the person who knows Christ. Man, that's good. That's exciting. But that's not the only thing about his call. You know what Paul is saying? He's, pray, he's saying to them, I'm praying that you would know all that is included in his invitation. When you trusted Christ as Savior, you not only get eternity right around the corner, but you get the presence of a loving, caring Father every day. You get the power of the Holy Spirit, you get the comfort, you get the guide. You get all of it, the calling that we have in Christ. Yes, it assures us of an incredible future, but we need to realize that it is not just about the future. It is about today. Think about it this way and perhaps the, regarding the people that Paul was writing to. Ephesus at this time was one of the most wealthiest cities in the world. It boasted itself of that temple of Diana I spoke about it just a moment ago. Today, actually, Ephesus is an archaeologist's paradise. They find new stuff in Ephesus all of the time when they're allowed to dig. But as Paul writes to them, I can imagine Paul's thinking as he's writing to this glorious city that is known for its wealth. He's writing to them and he's like, man, what God has in store for you is way more than what you're being offered there. The believer, while we do have an eternity look to look forward to, we have an earnest expectation each and every day. We have a real and a lasting hope. Believers not only have an eternity waiting for them, but we also have the hope of his calling for each and every day. And here's what Paul was saying to them. Hey, I am praying that you would know God, and I am praying that you would truly know his invitation. Know that it produces hope, not only for eternity, but each and every day. Number three, I am praying that you would know his riches. I'm praying that you would know his riches. Verse number 18. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, you and I, we don't read it in the old English like this. You could go and you can look it up even in 
maybe, uh, maybe in a newer Bible version that was translated you know, through the Texas Receptus. You can look up in the MEV or the New King James or something like that. And they all read similar things. And I look at it and I'm like, all right, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What does that mean? Simply, here's what Paul is saying to them. Paul is saying to them, I am simply praying that you would know about everything that is yours because of believing in Christ. Paul's already written to them about inheritance. We read it again right here. We inherit a lot because of Christ, and we won't take the time to go through all of it because we spent time on it last week, but we just need to remember that we truly receive a lot in Jesus. But this phrase not only refers to our inheritance in Christ, but also, listen to it and notice the wording, it refers to his inheritance in us. Not what we also get, but what he gets. What do you mean, pastor? This is an amazing truth, the fact that this phrase can not only can refer to our inheritance in Christ, but his inheritance in us. When you got saved, you know what God said? Yes, you are mine. You belong to me. I am your savior, but I'm also your father. I'm, it, it's referring back to the adoption that we get. I'm bringing you into my family. You know, God considers you, God considers you his inheritance. He says, hey, I, I'm getting something good in you. Now, this, this isn't to uh, uh, bring up pride in us, like, ah, yep, God's getting something good in me. No, 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 It's me and you recognizing I am nothing, and yet God places value in my life. Have you seen a little bit of a pattern, if you've been here in our series, how Paul is trying to help the believers at Ephesus know you are worth something to God? And that's this phrase, the fact that we are God's, we are his inheritance, and what his inheritance is in us. We are rich because of Christ, but he also looks at us with delight. The challenge then is this, because we are God's inheritance, we should desire to live to please and glorify him. Man, since I, since I belong to him, I should live a life of dedication and devotion to the Lord. Why? Because I'm his. And so Paul is saying to them, I want you to know the riches that you have in Christ, but also how he looks at you. Number four, Paul says, I'm praying that you would know God's power. I'm praying that you would know his power. Don't miss this, because I think in this day and age and everything we see going on, this is a very good principle for us today. Verse 19 and 20 I'm also praying what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his might, mighty power which he wrought in Christ or displayed in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Simply put, here's what Paul is saying. I am praying that you would know and remember that we serve a powerful God. This was such a tremendous truth that Paul used a number of Greek words that really we, we can't fully get in the English language, and I'm just going to give you a few of them. 
Paul used these four words in this specific, these two verses in this thought. The word dunamis, we would get our English word dynamite or explosion from, is the word power. Energia or a working energy to create maybe synergy, something that's static, that affects a lot of people. Kratos, which is the word mighty, the word mighty or deep, deep strength. And the word iskus, which is power, deep power. Okay. All right, pastor, that's cool. I learned some Greek words today. What does it mean? This is awesome. I'm going to read verse 19 and 20, what we just read, with the definitions in there. Here's what Paul is saying. I am praying that you would know what is the surpassing magnitude of his miraculous power toward those who believe, according to the operation of his powerfully strong and mighty powerfulness. Pastor, what does that mean? Paul's like, hey, you serve a mighty, 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 powerful, 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 strong, 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 powerful, strong, powerful God who has a lot of power and is really powerful. Like that's the repetition Paul is using. Well, why are you doing this, Paul? Hey, because he wants you to understand that if your God is powerful enough to save you, he's powerful enough to help you in your daily struggles. And if your God is powerful enough to save you for eternity, your God is powerful enough to give you strength today. And if your God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, that's the demonstration that was used. He's saying, hey, we saw the power on display when Jesus was risen from the dead. That same God lives in your life. And if that same God has power over death, then don't you think that God has power over your situation? Hey, he rose Christ from the dead. He knows what's going on in Ukraine. Man, what a blessing it's been for me to read things from Christians in Ukraine who are just living life without doubt right now. And yet here in America, we're like, ah, gas prices are going to go up. Ah, you know, we get all cranky. And yes, we should have a care about what's going on. But listen, your house isn't about to get blown up. You want to talk about a real demonstration of faith. Hey, be a person who's in persecution, who lives in North Korea. Be a Christian who lives in India right now. Be a Christian who's growing up in Cuba right now. Hey, be a Christian in one of these places where things really are hard. We live such a cush Christian life. Where's our excuse? Hey, what's your excuse for not representing Christ at work? You have a powerful God in you. Hey, what's your excuse for not getting up and spending time with him? You have a powerful God in you. Hey, what's my excuse for not stepping out by faith and giving when God asks me to? Hey, I've got a powerful God in me. You know, Paul is saying to him, I'm praying that you would remember you serve a powerful God. Hey, God is bigger than your issues. God is bigger than your struggles. God is bigger than your financial situation. God is bigger than that person at work or at school that just drives you nuts because of their antagonism. Hey, God is bigger than cancer. God is bigger than a health situation. He is bigger than dementia. God is bigger than death. He's bigger than loss. Hey, you serve a powerful, powerful God. 
That's a good truth. Why do we keep forgetting it? We stub our toe and we're like, oh God, where are you? And here's what Paul's trying to tell him. Hey, we serve a powerful God. I don't know about you, but I need this reminder all the time. I need to be reminded that God is bigger than I think. I need to be reminded the, the message we heard two weeks ago from Pastor Bill Prater that, man, I pray such small prayer requests and God's bigger. Can I talk to our church family for just a minute? I, I'm not trying to be repetitive about our building stuff, but this is huge. Like, we're not talking about building a house for $400,000. We're talking a building that's going to cost a couple million. And I'm looking at this going, man, God, like, God, I I pray that we're not biting off more than we can chew right here. And, And the fear inside of me says, well, you know, let's play it safe. I mean, let's just keep investing here in this building. And then God's like, Hey, Dennis, you're acting like an idiot. (laughs) Didn't I give you the property? You prayed for property, didn't you? Yeah, God, we prayed. Did you make the doors open? No, God. What'd you do? Um, Well, God, we simply asked a crazy question to the people selling it, and they said yes. Do you think you did that? No, God. Yeah, you prayed for eight years and look at what I did. Do you think I can provide for this building? Okay, God. All right. I need that. You know why? Because this pastor, I'm scared. I don't want to be that church that says, oh, we're going to do this. And then like 20 years later, we're still going to do it. (laughs) And I don't want to be that. You know what? We serve a powerful God. He's bigger than your situation. He's bigger than mine. I love Jeremiah 10, 6. It says, for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great and thy name is great in might. Psalm 86, 10, for thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Psalm 27, verse number one, the Lord, he is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I mean, I love the display of the power of Jesus Christ, of God all throughout scripture. I love the night of Jesus' death. The night before he died, listen to display, the display of power. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and saith unto them, the soldiers who were there, whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which was betrayed, stood with them. And the verse cut off, but it says this. As soon as he said, I am he, it says they went backward and fell to the ground. Hey, Jesus, who who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. All the soldiers, boom. We'll talk about it on Easter in a few weeks, and I make a joke of it. Right about then, I'd be like, I'm on a wrong team. If I'm a Roman soldier, I'm like, I'm switching sides. Why? Because literally just the voice knocked me off my feet. Power was displayed when he rose from the dead. Angel answered and said unto the women, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Hey, we serve a powerful God.
Paul says, I'm praying that you would know his power. Lastly, I'm praying that you would know his authority. After Jesus rose from the dead, it says this, and he set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Here's what Paul is saying to them. I am praying that you would know the authority that God has. He is on the throne. His throne is far above principalities and powers and dominions. His name is above every other name, not only for now, but for all of eternity. And God has taken Jesus Christ, his own son, and set him in his right hand, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is not only the Savior, but he is also the Sovereign. One man said it this way, no authority or power, human or in the spirit world, is greater than that of Jesus Christ, the exalted Son of God. God. Can I tell you this morning that we serve a powerful God and your Savior lives and he is in all authority. And if you know him as your Savior, Paul's writing to these believers at Ephesus and he says, hey, if you know him as your Savior, he has been placed above you and he is in control. And even for those that don't know him, He's on the throne of heaven. He's always in control. He is sovereign. So, Paul comes this morning and he just simply says, hey, I don't think you're getting it. (laughs) I don't think you're getting it. He sits across the table from me and you and he says, no, no, you're you're just not, I, I don't know if you're understanding this. I'm I'm trying to help you get. You have a lot wrapped up in your Savior. His calling in your life, his invitation is not a, you know, well, it might happen. No, 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 no. You have heaven around the corner and you have his presence every day. And God looks at you and he says, you are my inheritance. You are valuable to God. And God, he looks at you and he says to you, I am all powerful and I am in all authority. There is no one beside me. And Paul says, I'm praying that you would just get it. But this morning, I want to end where we started. And I want to go back to that very first prayer request because Paul said this, I pray for you to really know God. Really, all of these things can boil down to that one principle. Because every believer can be challenged to get to know God. Pastor, what happens when we get to know God? Hey, when we continue to get to know God, we continue to trust God. As we continue to trust God, we continue to follow God. As we continue to follow God, we continue to make an impact for God. And as we make an impact for God, we reach others with God. Think about it this way. If you trust God, then you're going to have a desire to obey him and follow him. 
And when you follow him, you're going to have a desire to impact the lives of people around you. And when you impact the lives of people around you, when you uh, serve, when when you faithfully give, when you speak to others, when you follow God and impact people, God uses you. Listen, he uses you to change eternity. But it all starts with getting to know him. What we find today is Paul's prayer request for the believers at Ephesus. And I want to ask you this question today. This week, will Paul's prayer be answered in your life? Will you make the decision to get to know God this week? Will you make the decision to remember that he is on the throne? Will you make the decision to know this week, hey, I am going to let my faith in God speak louder into my life than my fear because I have a powerful God? Are you this week going to cower back and say, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if God knows what's going on with my finances. I just don't know if God knows. I just don't. Or are you going to step back and say, God, I serve a mighty and a powerful God, and I want to get to know you this week. Because if I get to know you, I know I'm going to trust you. And if I trust you, I'm going to follow you. And if I follow you, I'm going to be used to impact people around me. And then somebody could come to know you as Savior, all because it boiled back down to me just getting to know God. How do we get to know God? I'm not trying to make this seem too easy. But you want to know how you get to know God? In his word. Quit making excuses as to why you can't read the Bible. And don't don't do this, but well, I'm going to find I'm guilted into this. No, no, no. Like, God... I want to know you. Show me you today. God, teach me something about you today. You want to get to know God? Get in his word. You want to get to know God? Spend time in in prayer with him. You want to to get to know God? Spend time around his people. Hey, God will do it. We don't serve a God who's like playing hide and go seek with himself. Like trying to hide from you. Oh, you you got to find me. No, when God, made, when God said, seek me, it wasn't hide and seek. It was just pursue me. Hey, follow after me. I hope that every one of us today would be challenged. This week, I'm going to get to know God. It may look differently in your life than someone else's, but don't compare yourself. Just make the step, faith step that God's asking you to take this week. God, I'm going to get to know you this week. I'm going to remember that you're a powerful God. You have all authority. I'm your inheritance. But God, I know all that starts with me just getting to know you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.